Hello and welcome to Time Lock, the podcast in which guests choose their records they would place in a time capsule to represent their lives. On this episode, it's my pleasure to talk with Mecca Maiko. Maiko is Hayley Stewart, a Canadian singer, songwriter and DJ whose latest LP titled Not OK has been met with high praise. One of my favourite LPs from 2022, Hayley's musical career started with the duo Dead Astronauts along with her Mecca Maiko solo work has recently joined supergroup Hyperlink DreamSync taking quality synthwave mixed with future sounds of electro. I'm AMC and I'm your host for the next hour, during which Hayley talks about the Toronto scene, her earliest musical memories through her parents' mixed CDs and the power of in-person connections. Thanks very much, Hayley, for joining us today. Absolutely super stoked to have you on the podcast. It's had a bit of a hiatus, but I think we're back with a bang, certainly with you joining us. So perhaps you want to just talk a bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and we can kind of take it from there. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So my name is Hayley Stewart, and I have a music project called Mecca Maiko, and it's been a project where I basically make experimental synth pop music, going into kind of like dance realms, or I kind of like to say that I'm a genre fluid electronic producer and vocalist. Um, so that's probably the best way of putting it. <laughs> and in terms of releases, obviously you you came out with your latest LP just sort of the back end of last year, Not Okay. But how's that yes. gone down? In terms of like the the rollout and the mm. yeah, how, how how do you feel now it's out in the wild? Oh my god, I feel I feel so relieved. <laughs> um, it's I feel like with albums, I spend so much time working on them that they've been like in production for like 
two or year, two years or more basically by the time they come out so I'm almost like a little bit sick of them by the time they come out and then after a while I re-listened and I'm like oh, okay maybe maybe this is better than I thought it was <laughs> yeah well I mean it's, it's obviously I'm a fan you've got, got a lovely copy of the mini disc version so particularly Aww, pleased with that you. yeah no it's really love, lovely wrap around obviously the artwork's great Obviously, the music is what it's all about. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's ace, and I would encourage anyone who hasn't purchased it yet to definitely go, definitely go and do that. I've big fan of the title track, not okay. That's that's the banger for me. Thank um, you. What's, what's the feedback been like from from everyone else? Is it, has it been a bit of a spread on favourites and things like that, or is there one that's kind of bubbling through? Yeah, I think this album has been really interesting to watch how it rolls out because I feel like it's had the most reach across like audience and genre so there's a lot of people who i know in the toronto scene that make more kind of like techno or like just kind of play across genres as well so they have like interesting picks like the kids has been kind of like an underdog favorite for some and i don't know like my bandmates from hyperlink dream sync uh neil and eric they're like i feel like webs was maybe one that got a little bit more attention than I was expecting. But overall, the feedback has been really good. And I think that the, um, I think that Not Okay is probably also my favorite song. Um, (laughs) And it's kind of funny because like the main sort of like lead sound that comes in the chorus was probably like the quickest I've ever like programmed a sound. It's just like a couple twists of a knob off from like a default VST setting that just happens when you load it up. Wow. So it was, you know, pretty fun. That's ace, <laughs> that's ace. And you've, you've just touched on, yeah, the dream team, this, this the, the new ensemble <laughs> for um, Hyperlink Dream Seat. So obviously that's Funaghost and Sephiro, aka Neil and Eric and they released their debut LP last year, I think it was. Um, I'll have to check. And then I think it was 2021. 20, yeah, you're right, 21. Mm-hmm. And then out of the blue, this announcement that, that you've you've joined this amazing trio. So <laughs> you, you you guys busy cooking up, cooking up now, or uh, kind of where are you with with, with the pro- without oh, maybe without really too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the announcement came pretty late. Like we kind of had been working on things. Right. For a while so it basically started with me doing vocals on a track that they've already produced from their first album and I think I don't know exactly what the process was but afterwards um, Eric Sparrow asked me if I wanted to just join and like work on new material and I was like hell yeah I don't know how I've slept on this even though you know I was probably working on with them like in 20 late 2021 or early 2022 but I was like this is so good I'd kind of looked over the collabs that they were doing before Mm. and once I found them I was like this is like the most exciting music I've heard in a long time amen to that so (laughs) again for the listener I, I recommend you pause this come back to us but go and do a little bit just listening get onto Bandcamp and go and listen to some excerpts of Hyperlink Dream Seat and then also if you've got time 
just have a little bit listen to Sephro and listen to Fun of Ghosts because what basically what it does is it amalgamates proto excellent synthwave from Eric and then you get these melancholy layers that Neil kind of brings and you put them together and it's just magic. <laughs> imagine maybe a little bit with with Hayley's vocals then go and listen to just some guy which uh, the remix hyperlink dream sync remix because that's absolutely awesome <laughs> going with it do you think or um a little bit it's kind mm. of like uh ju- the just some guy remix has a very like remix quality to it in terms of the mm. like chopping so it's a little bit more of like the fleshed out like vocal uh st- like a little bit more of a pop structure which i usually stick to mm-hmm. but i'm so excited for it like i haven't i really honestly haven't been like working too much on stuff of my own because I always just want to like show it to them first and be like hey do you think we can use this or like twist this into something for the band but they have such a great bank of sounds and like palettes that they use that I don't want to like take that away too much so um for the most part in terms of production I've just been uh either like rearranging things to suit more of like a pop for lack of a better term structure and then um maybe like beefing up some drums or uh yeah fun stuff like that amazing i think we'll probably come back to that we'll probably explore that bit further but obviously 
today we're going to explore your tracks, the tracks that you've chosen to put into the virtual time lock to kind of seal for all mankind. <laughs> and we we have got we've got some choice choices here. I can I can say that for sure. So how how was the process of kind of compiling and, and getting the tracks together? Was it easy? Uh, was oh it difficult? My God. It was so hard. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really difficult because as a kid, like music, like listening to music was a major hobby of mine Mm. and I feel like those sort of early experiences just like diving in really kind of set me on track to be involved in in music in some way Mm -hmm. um and I've just listened to a lot of stuff so I've kind of had to make my selections to um represent like a different element of that kind of journey or influence that it had Mm -hmm. um so yeah even though i'm only choosing like eight tracks or so like they each kind of represent a different element that i think has impacted Mm me Mm -hmm. right well let's not tease any further let's get straight into it so we're rewinding to 1992 and there's an instant reaction when i say this band's name which i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hold the urge to do (laughs) i'll talk about it in a minute but it's, it's um, Utah Saints and uh, Something Good, their absolute iconic anthem. to hit us with you know 92 yeah what's going on where, where, where did this song permeate where did it come from and what was your story with it okay so when i was a kid my dad would make these like mix cds for me and it would be either like a combination of songs that he just wanted to like expose me to or ones that he knew i liked from like when we we're like driving in the car somewhere or like listening to records um so on my first mix cd um i'm pretty sure i had this track on it and it was i think this is maybe one of the first songs that like got me really excited about electronic music mainly because like it was the 90s and there was my parents were like very they were into a lot of music but like their jam was like very much into the like grunge and alternative scene a lot of like proper bands and guitars and like gnarly vocals and so this was like a complete contrast to that in my mind's eye it's just like everything is so like bright and punchy and uh melodic um there was like an amazing energy that like i wanted to dance to and the vocal sample was so weird and so good because it's kate bush so obviously it's amazing um and I just really liked re-listening to it and like picking out all the different layers. And it was 
I mean, it's not like a very complicated track. It's like very, it's almost like pretty formulaic, but I was like, hey, sometimes the simple stuff gets it done right. It's great. So did you, you know, it's just Kate Bush sample, cloud busting, but did you know it was Kate Bush when you heard it? No. Did you, you weren't aware of it? Yeah, okay. So no, it was, it's only yeah. like years yeah. later that I realized yeah. that it was Kate Bush and um, I went back and listened to the original track and I'm like, oh my God, this is so moving like on its own. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like interesting because I feel like a lot of the music that impacted me early on, I didn't really have a lot of reference for like where that was coming from. And then later on in life, I would go back and kind of rediscover it with new context because I mean 92 is my birth year so I was probably listening to this most between the eight like eight years old or under so it was again not super timely but something my dad knew I liked listening to yeah see that's interesting because it's 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 very much of 92 and that very early 90s sound because as you say it's 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 limited in what it could do technologically but the soundscape is really wide because of just the, the, the I guess the like a compression and all that kind of stuff there's just there's a lot going on I think it was run on Amigas or an Atari ST so you know there's so much limitation with what you could do so the sound is very early 90s computer driven so that that's already quite dated if you were listening to actually sort of you know mm-hmm. five five six leads later the scene is completely changed technology's got better so it's all it's all quite kind of dated already when you were listening to it yeah Yeah. i mean i remember like my dad once like the mp3 cds came out and you could just load them with like hundreds of songs um this i had the full album front to back and i would just listen to it with headphones because like i feel like it was really well mixed in terms of all like being able to pick out all the different layers and like even more if they're like down tempo tracks with like the cheesy pan flute and stuff are actually like so satisfying to listen to. Mm. They didn't last very long. I mean, they round for two or three years max, and uh, yeah, then they just sort of disappeared. But they had they had that. And uh, my reflux reaction is whenever somebody says Utah Saints, I just want to go you you Utah Saints. <laughs> Absolutely, me too. It's the only way, right? It's like. Um, the other one is um, Urban Cookie Collective. I haven't heard of that. I'm sorry. Yeah, so the Urban Cookie Collective and the key, the secret. So if somebody says, I've got the key, you go, I've got the secret, because that's mm. just that, that's just it. And it was the same era, but anyway, it's bad, <laughs> bad dad jokes. So. I've got the key, I've got the secret, I've got the key to another way. Hey, I mean... There's always things that slip by the wayside. I'm, I'm going to look into this because I'm sure I'll love it. <laughs> cool. Well, that's a strong start. So curious about these mix CDs. You're saying they're a real mix of what electronic and sort of West Coast grunge, you're saying? And so that's quite, a, that's, that's quite a clashing sound. <laughs> well, the grunge is like stuff that my parents were listening to at home. And the mix CDs were just my like weird requests. And then they would put in maybe a little something they think I would like a little bit more. Ah, right. Okay. Um, I do somewhere have like a giant case of these CDs still Um, and some of them are like really embarrassing in terms of what I wanted on there because it's like 
Austin Powers skits and stuff. Like it's bad. Like a lot of it is bad, but there's a few gems. Um, yeah. Sounds cool. We're going to skip then. So even though 92, yeah. Okay. You were listening to it later. I guess this is now sort of moving to, yeah, more of the period of when you might have been listening to it. It's because we're forwarding to yeah. 99, 99 now. I mean, this is almost, I call it, it's like pre-electro clash, but it's um, La Tigre and the, the Empty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, that's, that's a very different sound. Is this on another mix CD or is this something you found? <laughs> what's going on with well, this? I'm pretty sure they had this this album and the whole album is great. It's like mm. very accessible, like feminist, uh, yeah, proto-electro clash kind of um, punky, but with like a pop edge. Anyway, um, this track is probably like the hardest and like rawest song like everything's super distorted so again this is just stuff that my family was listening to that I kind of like grabbed onto um because we had like a whole shared like iTunes library and so this was one that was on there and I think my sister also was really into it she was so more into the like emo and like post-punk and like hardcore kind of uh She's going to laugh at me for describing her music taste that way. <laughs> but um, yeah, so my older sister was already onto some like tougher music. And this is one that I thought was really cool when I first heard it because I'd never heard um, like a female vocalist really go off like this before. And the more I looked into the band and it was like a girl band, I just thought that was really cool because again, I was still like under 10 years old at this time um so it it was just like really striking to hear this um and I thought it was really cool because I think a lot of female vocalists around this time were kind of like really like sultry or like bored sounding which like hey I love that I do that but this was really cool because um it kind of broke the rules of what I thought like a female like artist had to sound like um, so yeah, it was like a very cool album. This is Tarlock by Gated. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, 99 as well. Like I said, it's kind of just before we get to things like Soul Wax and sort of 2001, 2, where, where you're getting more of the, you know, like the electro clash type. This is pre that, but it's got like the roots of it. And then you've got like the carryover of Riot Girl, sort of from like the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a gap there, and this 
fills it. You've got you know that like the essence of punk, you know, combination of singing and absolutely completely not singing, but it absolutely works. But with this really rigid electro beat that's just going all the way through it. Yeah, and all, all the songs are super short, right? They're all on the LP. They're like two, three minute long. Just it doesn't need to be any longer than that. It's just boom, right next. It's, um, it's a cracking LP. So why why this one, the the empty and not the others? Is it what grabs you particularly about this track? Do you think? I think it was because it was like a little bit out of my comfort zone at the time. And it was a track that like, I like to listen to sometimes and other times I would like have to skip it. But I think it was one that was really like important for me to hear back then. And again, just like felt kind of like empowering to listen to, mm. even though I'm still like a naive little kid who has like no idea what's going on with the world. I It just like struck a chord that I didn't really know what it was like about and then as I got older it's like something I think back to and like appreciate more and more so Mm. I think that's again why I put it on there yeah it's really great I'm gonna have to revisit it it's one that I've not not really dived into they're not not around anymore are they I think they they broke up didn't they or are they still going do you know I think they broke up because it was the lead singer of Bikini Kill who started the band and now I think she just has her solo project um, so yeah, that's that's a real, real hard-hitting track, and to do a complete U-turn on that, we're just skipping <laughs> to one year later, and to you know one of the most iconic albums I'd, I'd say, my my opinion of sort of electronic music, full stop. So since I left you by the Avalanches, but you've chosen Live at Dominoes, which is I'm really curious about this because it's near the end of the LP. It's one of the longer tracks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have a big hook to it, but there's so much going on. So, so yeah, how d- where, where did this come from? <laughs> <laughs> definitely coming from my like the period of time where I would just like go into my room and put on headphones and like listen to an album like front to back and it sounds like so lame because like I feel like a lot of people do that and it's not that special but like this album totally has like a journey and it feels kind of like a movie playing out through the whole thing and this song especially kind of shifts between really high energy like dance beats and then there's like tension that kind of builds and swells and is released and then there's these like beautiful strings that carry through and it kind of again like 
breaks the rules about music, but the more I think of it, the more it seems kind of like they take their cues from classical music. And yeah. um, anyway, like I chose this song just because it's it was again like a very meaningful experience to listen to something like this. Um, it made me be like, oh, I want to do like movie scores when I grow up, when I grow up, or be a DJ. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, again, I was just had these, I feel like at this time, I just listened to a lot of, I heard of like a lot of bands playing and this is just so outside of that realm. How did you come across this album? This album, listening to things back to front, is this on the, I, the iTunes list or is it something that you've yeah, I, this, is, this is definitely on <laughs> the same like MP3 CD where right. my dad just like put a bunch of stuff on. Um, yeah, so I think they're like the other album that was a lot that also was meaningful was BT's like Movement and Still Life. Right. And those were very good. This one was a lot more like colorful and had a lot more imagery to it. Um, so again, like at this point, like I'm just kind of grabbing music from my family and my parents because like they're just avid music listeners. My dad was like early adopter to music piracy. <laughs> so um, eventually, like around this time, I was probably able to just start. I knew how to use um, whatever like client we had at the time. I don't know if it was Kazaa at this point or what. Um, but I was like starting to get comfortable enough to download stuff on my own. But, um, yeah, this one was just like crazy, crazy to hear and, um, really got me into like building iTunes playlists of like songs I thought would be like cool to like weave into the next. And again, like a lot of music I found was just digging through the shared computer. It's an album that you certainly couldn't make today. You in in the way that it was released back then. You you just it would bankrupt every <laughs> it would bankrupt you first. Of all. Yeah, it, it, it just it just wouldn't happen. So it's pretty special for that reason. And then just the execution of it is almost faultless. I think if you're listening, you've never heard it. Then I'm surprised, but please go off and find it. It's it's absolutely insane to the point I think it's 900 plus samples that are on it Um, yeah and I wonder if like there's something special like I wonder because I think right now a lot of the music I'm interested in is like that comes out recently it has like a very minimal feel to it like Mm. it's just a few tracks and it's very bare bones and I wonder if that's like a reaction to how easy it is to like layer and overwhelm like you have Mm. endless options now so I wonder if like making this in the year 2000 like obviously technology was still pretty great back then Mm. um but I wonder like if working on music in this way where you're trying to like is maximize a word (laughs) just like increase the amount and the complexity of like what you're able to do with a song, um, given certain constraints. Uh, yeah, I don't know if people will be that into it now. Like it's, I hope that makes sense. 
<laughs> no, it it does, and you're touching on it. It's really funny. It's a theme I think every one of these podcasts has, has, has got to at some point is, is the fact that making music today, and I put from my very, very limited skills, which are, I would use skills very loosely, but <laughs> the overwhelming, as you say, the choice is so great that it, it's almost to the point of stifling because you just like, where do I start? And you have to, and everybody's said to me, Alistair, you've got to set some constraints, mm-hmm. limit yourself, and then it becomes more obtainable in terms of creation or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this feels like they just chucked, ev- or they did, they chucked everything in the kitchen sink, but but they did do it in a way that made sense. As you say, there, there's, there's, a, there's a theme, there's a journey, it all segues through it's not just throw it and see what happens so there was a lot of skill that went behind it but yeah today with this stand up I'm not sure it would but that's I think what makes it special Um, Mm -hmm. yeah it took him so long to clear the samples I think it took him over 18 months which I mean today in this world it would have taken years it's bonkers I don't know if you've heard any of the mixes they did to promote it back in the day because they're Yeah, so there's a couple of Breeze Block. Breeze Block was a show that Marianne Hobbs, now on Six Music Radio 1, BBC Radio, was a great, great show. And there's a couple of they did to promote it. And the mixes are probably as insane as the album. They're just, again, I'll I'll dig them out, send them over. Because I think, yeah, yeah, they're just, again, they just chuck everything at it and everything gets quicker and quicker and quicker. And you're like, when's this going to end? It's it's bonkers. So, yeah, it's good. But before we leave on this, I'm just curious. So, yeah, live at Domino's. So it's near the end end of the LP. So, you know, why does this one resonate with you maybe more than the others? Is it because it's near the end and it's the end of the journey or? Yeah, it's near the end. I also just, there's like an emotional response that it triggers in me that I don't think every single other track has and I think it is partially just like the keys that they use and like the strings um it's just always one that like gives me chills and there's like a melancholy part of it and it feels like Mm -hmm. there's a meaningful transition or like climax of some sort happening it's like romantic and like chilling and I mean other people probably get different feelings from it but yeah i really like that one tonight that's the one that does it for me that mm, that, that yeah. one key i can i can just hear it and i ding 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 i love that i could have that on repeat all day <laughs> Great LP, great LP. Right, I think this is, of all of ones, this is the one that 
made me the most curious is coming up next. So we're <laughs> skipping it now two years. So 2002, and we're getting on to the Latch Brothers and the amazing title, Me Likey the Poo Poo. Man, there's some, there's some story behind this, I'm sure. But it's from the Jet Set Audio Future Xbox game, right? It's, um, yeah, Jet Set Radio Future. Yeah. Yes. So I, I'm guessing this because you had the game? Were you, you played yeah, the game? Yeah, so yeah. So up until this point, like, we only had a Super Nintendo <laughs> in the house. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, yeah, like, obviously, Yoshi's Island, great soundtrack. And then to jump into the this, like... This is the game that came with the Xbox, like when you bought it. It was one that just came with like a dumb like racing game. And I played this so much. It was <laughs> mental. I was like, every song is so good. I listen back and I'm like, not every song is so good. However, <laughs> um, I realized like every Latch Brothers track was just so good. It had like a really neat blend of there's always sort of like a different like um uh world <laughs> wow this is gonna sound horrible like world drums like mixed in somewhere like just basically like non-western music um and there was a lot of like hip-hop influence in it and yeah this sort of like got me more interested in like hip-hop production and digging for similar things and I only learned like when I chose this song that one of the members was from the Beastie Boys. Can you believe it? <laughs> Mike D. And I'm like oh that makes complete sense. That's why yeah. I like it so much. But um, yeah like this track is just again like it morphs in a really interesting way. Um, having fun with samples just like Bang and beat. I don't know. It's really good. It is really good. I want to thank you for this one because it, it, the same way it taught, it, it, it's, it's unraveled another group that Mike D was involved in because he did all these funny little side projects. So it's on Grand Royale. So that was the big, that was the first clue. I was like, hmm, hey, Grand Royale mm. release. That's interesting. Hmm. Who are these Latch Brothers? One of them's Mike D. The other one did the production on the anthology DVD of the Beastie Boys, which was one of the first proper interactive menu type DVDs, which mm. all these things moved on it. And you've got all these layers of commentaries and different audio visual shots. At the same time, I've never seen another sort of DVD really push that technology. And then the other guy, I think, was did a lot of technical studio work with them as well so they're all they all know each other mm -hmm. and, um, and that kind of then makes sense when you hear it because you say cause it hasn't got just the hip-hop influences i think it also sounds a bit like their early beastie boys pre fight for your right when they you know they were doing a lot of the you know punk stuff there's something quite diy about it it's really cool yeah yeah i really love yeah. like again they're just kind of blending like disparate sounds a lot of the time and like distorting some things and um yeah, there's always like a little bit of a vocal that's like sounds like it's coming through like a speaker. Yeah. Um Yeah, really really like this. And I think too, like at this time, I was like I always kind of floated through friend groups at school and for like talking about music, like everybody's listening to like 
M&M or like Evanescence or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I can't relate. So like, this was kind of like my, my stepping stone to like investigate more hip hop. Cause that was something I could probably talk to my friends about. Right. So it got me interested in like DJ shadow. I think my dad had some Pepe deluxe for a while. Okay. And like, I was looking for old school rap kind of coming off of this. Um, mm-hmm. And Again, it was like the things that were near and dear to my heart, like I didn't really talk to my friends about. But now, like Eric was also a big like Jet Set Radio Future fan. And so now we're like nerding out because I I think it's kind (laughs) of hard to find people that were like as into the soundtrack in the game. Yeah. And this was a radio. This is like the, the music that was going on in the background. So... If you brought it up to speed, it's a bit like Grand Theft Auto, where you can go around and you've got the radio in the car and you've got all the songs playing. So it's, it's before that, mm-hmm. um, and it sort of bridges the gap between that and there's another franchise called Wipeout, which was on the PlayStation One and Two, which had the best electronic soundtrack I think of any computer game. This definitely pushes it, I think. But they are that that's got the Chemical Brothers, Future Sound of London, mm. and then but also these other artists that you know produces as well but that's just the soundtrack this is actually like part of the game almost because you kind of flick around and and you're doing all the tricks and everything it's pretty it's really cool really cool yeah it's it's really cool because like certain songs would play in certain areas only sometimes so like it was really exciting if you discovered a new area and like you're hearing a song for the first time you're like oh my god (laughs) what is this um yeah and um it's also probably worth noting that this game got me like really piqued my interest into learning more about like Japan and like uh, Mm. Japanese culture and sowed the seeds of like being a little bit of a weeaboo (laughs) Um, so just because like the game design is stunning and you're like wait this is set in Tokyo and then you actually look up Tokyo you're like okay it's not quite this isn't like totally reality but it's interesting and like got me interested in just looking up like there was still a lot of travel blogs at this time about people like westerners going to japan um and documenting their experiences so for it that really got me like i I need to go visit this place that was the inspiration for the game one day Mm. yeah So let's just take a little side side track down that avenue for a bit. Let's explore Japan. So for, again, the listener, so Mecha Maiko is kind of a sort of translation of like robot geisha in training. Yeah. That's basically kind of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, because like Mecha comes from like, uh, like battle mechs from hmm. anime. So like Gundams are basically those or... Yeah. Um, uh yeah like there's a million like neon genesis evangelion that's like another common it's just like a common style of anime i guess and then maiko again is yeah a geisha in training and um i feel like there's still a lot of confusion about what exactly a geisha is and basically they're just like entertainers and um they'll like learn instruments or performances like dancing or um like tea ceremonies so it's really just like being like 
good host in a way. So it's, I think the reason why I chose Maiko, like as a kid, I was obsessed once I found out about this element of Japanese culture, I thought it was really interesting that the Maikos got to wear like super bright, colorful, beautiful kimonos and um, had like the coolest outfits because <laughs> I was obsessed with Japanese street fashion. So that kind of got me interested in learning about this side of, I don't know, Japanese culture. But um, basically, to explain the name, it's basically a fusion of like mechanical, dystopian, kind of tough, transformative, um, aggressive, like powerful machinery, and then pairing it with like a very like naive, soft, proper, innocent, um, traditional, feminine kind of identity. So it's a fusion of like these opposing forces unfortunately through my like weeaboo lens of <laughs> um interest but it totally just comes from me thinking that it's a great contrasting fusion of threads that kind of like carry through the music that I like to make time lock by gated well much like a Gundam or indeed Evangelion, you've got gigantic robot with a human, tiny little human in there <laughs> that brings that brings the soul and brings um you know the sort of identity and how it behaves and it, I guess how it sounds right. So, have you been to Japan at all? Have you managed to get there? Yeah, I ended up going when I was yeah. thirteen. Um, nice, because my my best friend since kindergarten, her uh her mom got a job for like the Japanese like consulate or Canadian embassy like in Japan so um she moved like right around like my peak interest in like Japan and Japanese street fashion and I was like oh my god I need to I need to visit you so um I saved up a lot like I basically just asked for all my birthdays for people to just give me money and um luckily I was like privileged enough to like start a little savings account and make up enough money for the flight and I think my parents were like oh this is really great that you actually did this thing and like saved up the money to go um like you're gonna need a little bit more money than just the flight the plane ticket so they like pitched in a bit and uh, yeah, I was able to go and spend two weeks there when I was 13, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, especially when you like, even though I was so obsessed, I didn't learn that much Japanese. So there were some days that I was just like wandering around Tokyo, like by myself. And it was a really strange experience because I felt so out of place and again you have that like weird awkward preteen brace face energy and I was also kind of like a big kid so like I looked a lot older than I was and I but it was like yeah a really weird time um but I got to go and check out like the arcades there do some karaoke 
um, where they shouldn't have been serving us alcohol, but for some reason they did. <laughs> and um, I was just like terrified of that. I did not touch any. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool experience. And I would love to go back now that I am an adult. <laughs> so you, you were Scarlett Johansson before you Scarlett Johansson. You were, you were 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you preluded it all. Yeah. Well, I remember when that movie came out and I was like, yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel that same sensation of just kind of being comp like this weird anomaly, like floating through this really cool place that I'm excited to be here and to see my friends, but it was also very lonely. Um, yeah. Well, I'd love to carry on talking about this, but I fear this is going to turn into a Japan podcast. No, I'm so, so sorry. We, we're not no, making no, no, good not progress. No, 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 I could, I could <laughs> talk. There's, there's so many connections, you know. Node, obviously part of Gated, he lives in Japan. My wife is learning Japanese, worked out there. We've been we're out there a couple of years ago. We could talk a lot about Japan. Oh, my God. But we're going we're gonna to rewind it. We're going to bring it back just for a bit. And yeah, we're going to get some disco courtesy of Simeon Mobile Disco and the excellent Duca Casio from 2006. So again, we've moved on four years from the Latch Brothers. is only on some great big box set so i'm guessing yeah you found that one ripped oh somewhere. yeah definitely <laughs> yeah it is such a good track and i was so surprised that it's only on this weird compilation type thing um but this was from the time period where i was finding music through um i don't even know if it was just me searching like bands that i liked into like limewire or something um but I also remember like around this time, there's a lot more of a blog presence. So I was finding stuff through there, through like MySpace, Last.fm maybe. I'm trying to not get my timelines messed up, but I feel like this was sort of music that was made on like the fringe of like the indie scene. And there was a real revival of sort of that like 80s aesthetic coming into like indie pop. So I'm thinking of like um, Yell and Kavinsky and uh, Calvin Harris and like there was just like a little bit of a revival in that sense, like both through fashion and music. And I heard this and I was like, this is sick. And um, I hadn't really like gone into a lot of electro uh, at that point yet, but like it definitely opened the floodgates for me to try to find more kind of 80s nostalgic leaning electronic music. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the indie sound. James Ford ended up doing loads of stuff, I think, with the Depeche Mode and other kind of electro, but kind of, yeah, like independent artists and groups. So I think that, that definitely comes through. Yeah, in that era, you're right. You know, you had um, those like Richard X. Obviously, Calvin Harris said, you know, acceptable in the 80s. Mm-hmm. All that, that whole... I wonder if it was, it was an age thing. So those people at that time they'd grown up like me in the 80s so it was kind of natural to kind of look back and bring the best bits and kind of make it better I suppose. Totally yeah because this is also I feel like peak American apparel time when everybody was like wearing like their vaguely aerobic style like outfits to parties and stuff. Not that I like I was in high school so I was just observing these trends i couldn't really participate (laughs) yeah um yeah and i feel like that's so much of the music that i listened to i was just like dying to be able to go to a place and listen to this music loud and live and i never i think i never really got the chance to do it until like much later so it would just be music i would play and force people to listen to it like house parties or something um right. yeah just my imaginary dj playlists is where this lived are you seeing any live music at this time or is it as you say just parties and oof honestly i i don't know i was a real keener in school and you can ask any of my friends about that (laughs) so it was very responsible um and I was also growing up in a suburb like I was growing up in Oakville which is like an hour like less than an hour away from Toronto so it's like there's not really much to do if I was gonna go somewhere it would have to be in Toronto and then I'd have to take the train back so I didn't really start doing that until I was like 18 or like just kind of transitioning out of high school into right um into college so yeah i uh i was pretty lame i really didn't do that much (laughs) like uh seeing bands until i got into college and then it was like oh i have friends with cars now yeah let's go check out neon indian or something (laughs) so so what about you know they've they've got a big old catalog is is it just the 80s feel on this one that, that does it for you it's hard to say. Like there was a long period of my of my life where I was I really just insisted on listening to instrumental music. And this is probably one of those, but it's the Right. Not to quote one of their other their other songs, but it's the beat. And <laughs> <laughs> just the um yeah, the energy that comes through. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of infectious. It just makes you want to go up and do something <laughs> yeah it makes me want to roller skate <laughs> yeah definitely now we're taking a bit of a step so we're, we're fast forwarding is six years now so maybe it's slightly older wiser Haley, perhaps <laughs> um, slightly <laughs> slightly slightly <laughs> Thank you. 
discovered all these things but I try to like go back and look at my own music career to see whereabouts I was and where I was in my life so this is definitely like early early college for me when I discovered him um, which I realized that this year was when I first released music with Dead Astronauts which was a band like a two-person band that I was in so yeah this this album I just remember like feeling so fresh in terms of it's using this like very nostalgic palette of sounds and then creating music that is something completely unique and um, a lot of that has to do with like the drum patterns that he sequences it's not it doesn't follow like a pastiche of rules that go along with these sounds he's trying to break that and make it a little bit more contemporary so I just thought it was so clever and everything everything just sounded so creamy and satisfying like it's really good like driving music which again at this point I didn't drive but I was a passenger or just like plugging this in when I was on the train and I think like it also represented this time period where you had like Electric Youth, Neon Indian, Washed Out, and Makeup and Vanity Set, Brother Tiger, like, again, it's using kind of like 80s sounds without being like too much of a copycat. Like, it was just, yeah, deeply, deeply satisfying to hear and got me like really excited about like diving in harder with music production so I guess he gets like a bit of a shout out for that <laughs> the, the sequencing of those drum beats but it's cut and as you say it's sequencing and that that sort of stutter that's in there mm-hmm. it's so it's so as you say deeply satisfying with that sort of broad almost like I don't say squelchy electronic but it's also like wah, 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 wah. it's so it's so good yeah i mean it's like <laughs> like if you contrast that with like the avalanches where they're just layering and layering and creating these amazing like like swells of sound like for this you can really just get immersed in like the sawtooth or something going on like it's a similar effect but just with so much less material and again like i really appreciated that you know it seemed like he was creating his own universe like both sonically and visually and i remember like (laughs) early on like just trying to be like how do i make a synth that sounds like that with my free shitty vst from eight years ago and like (laughs) yeah i still have some presets that i was like this kind of sounds like calm um which is so cringy but um yeah it really got me excited and like i was still at this point i was producing music for 
dead astronauts. So I was already like doing a lot of kind of like pop with an 80s touch. Um, and this was just like next level in terms of what I heard. Yeah, it takes away, but it definitely doesn't. It, it's quite distinctively different. It's not It's not a pastiche or a copy or a ripoff at all. It comes from that genre, but it, it'd be like, I'm trying to imagine if it was made in the 80s or it would sound so futuristic it wouldn't sound right but it works here because it it's made of this era if that makes any sense whatsoever it just it's it's not it's too different to be a ripoff or something like that and i think that's down to the or the quality of what he does yeah um, unless he's heard something we all haven't heard from that time yeah, period <laughs> yeah maybe he's got yeah maybe he's got a, the means to go back and have a little look have you listened to any of his um like i said any sort of his other work airliner for example because that was a really interesting i think he did two lps as airliner no and the album no actually yeah the album yeah the album none is is definitely worth listening to because it's like the evolution of i think it was i think it was just before he he did come true so you can definitely hear kind of where he's going and there's some absolute whoppers on that definitely recommend the track every day that is just okay very very thank nice. you thank very you choice <laughs> Then suddenly we're going back to the 80s, going to 83. We're going to Space Woman and Charlie. So what is the story on this?
Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like the more I was like trying to use like retro palettes, the deeper I dug into music that I would have missed that is definitely a prototype for all of this stuff. And so Spacer Woman is like, I don't know, like it's pure Italo disco, but again, like there is kind of like, you can see how this relates to Calm Trues in a weird way. So yeah, this is like, I feel like part of my deep dive, just research, re-education phase of just instead of digging into new music, I would more often than not just go looking for old music that is ahead of its time, basically. So this song is just deeply satisfying every single time that I listen to it. And uh, I don't know, in terms of representing my life as well, it's definitely like uh, my partner and I joke that if we ever like get married, this is our, this is going to be like our song. So yeah, so there's like, I guess a bit of a personal thing there as well, but I just have a lot of good memories of like going on road trips and listening to this track and yeah, tossing it into DJ sets because how can you not? (laughs) So again, so you know, we're talking relatively modern day. So it's a one-off track. There's no history really of it. It's just a off-the-shelf Italian disco project. So did you hear it from something else? How did you stumble on it? Yeah. So um, Holly Dodson of Parallels, like, kind of introduce like her and I think Abigail from Bunny X kind of got me aware of the term Italo disco because it's stuff that I've definitely heard in the past but had no idea like what the genre affiliation was so I basically just started again like discogs diving and YouTube diving and found this song and it was just absolutely crazy and again like sowed the seeds for me to like explore electro and um other things so it there's just so much amazing music that exists and I think that maybe at this point like I wasn't super excited about the new music that I was stumbling across but this stuff like was like a gut punch um in terms of how much it resonated with me so um, it's just so weird, like going through this list and seeing like where I was getting my music, and this is totally like a YouTube find, which is mm. embarrassing because I hate YouTube and I hate like <laughs> what like algorithms have done to like restructure like power and everything. But unfortunately, this was like I not unfortunately, but. You know, the, the exception to my hatred is I found this track through YouTube and it's yeah. kind of embarrassing. I wish I had a cooler story for that, but... No, 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 it's all good, right? It's for every yin, there's a yang and yeah, it's an evil empire, but those algorithms occasionally do throw a treat. This is definitely one. I can think of at least four or five that say for another podcast where I definitely know they were YouTube finds and I am not not afraid to find. I think the latest was Parody last year. 
never heard of them before came up. I was like, what? And I think, I think my partner found it. I was like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. Yeah. So there you go. It happens. I'm always so late, too. Even if there's an album that came out this year, that's amazing. It's going to take me maybe two or three years to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, I mean, there's just so much music. And I think, you know, we got to use, like, we're just using the technology that is popular and current and works right now so you know back in the day it was my parents itunes library and now it's youtube (laughs) there you go we're using it for good we're not using it for evil that's right so it's 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 all good it's all good there there is another way of course and you mentioned it earlier which is then revisiting the stacks of cds and you know mixes and all that stuff as well Mm -hmm. so for, for listeners to this i've got a stack behind me that I'm going through and yeah I rediscovered the cars and Heartbeat City mm. uh, which is just it was on an air mix that they did promoting Talkie Walkie oh nice and, yeah that's a great this, album this just, just came in I was like what the, this is incredible why haven't I heard this and, you know there you go so recommend go through your old CDs everybody and you'll find loads of stuff and you don't have to rely on the algorithm yeah totally <laughs> right well we're wrapping up with now we've got to the end and what a journey this has been we've listened to some awesome awesome music and I'm really really pleased that you've actually chosen something that you feature on and it's a beautiful track so this is Bulkhead Chloroform so this is from 2019 so a couple of years ago now I heard this when you played it on your Neo Knights set from just just before Christmas, and that along with the Pinup Club, I instantly bought. I was like, <laughs> I need these two. These are brilliant. And that's a sign of a good mix. So, but maybe you want to talk more about actually, you know, how this one came about and, and why you chose it because it was quite cool. You chose something, you know, of yours. Yeah, I feel like that's important to do. Yeah. like 
right on the heels of my first like Mecha Maiko release. And I was kind of getting more interested in playing shows. So that was introducing me to all sorts of, I was seeking out like a lot of local Toronto artists and just like meeting people and chatting because the internet is great, but there is something to be said to actually going out and seeing who's in your neighborhood and supporting them. So I basically, I think I was looking on like the 2MR SoundCloud and found that Bulkhead was releasing a new album and I found their music and I was like, this is so cool. And so it was like, so like gritty and like tougher in terms of electronic music that I was listening to at the time, but still like quite nostalgic, like using a lot of analog synthesizers and like palettes that I was very much into. So I sent them a message because they were playing a show that night at like my friend's birthday party. And I was like, are you going to have like your record for sale? And they're like, oh yeah. So I came by and I couldn't stay for their actual like DJ set or performance. So I was like, can I just like buy some stuff? And then, oh, I'm so sorry. So I like bought their stuff and then I left. And they were like, who the hell was that? <laughs> so I guess they checked out my music from SoundCloud where I like sent them a message. And um, they asked if like I wanted to do a track with them. And I was like, well, hell yes. So that kind of spurred me meeting a lot more like Toronto artists who are crazy good. And like, I'm really proud of this track because I think it was a really good, like one of those like really satisfying collaborations where you sent like, I'd send the vocal to them. And then when it came back, it just sounded way better than where it started, like in terms of the arrangement and how the track unfolded. So this song is kind of like my little marker for when I got more involved with like the Oro Records group and they started this sort of like monthly-ish like listening party at um, the like Master Tracks studio. So we would just like bring in demos and listen to whatever we were working on and kind of get feedback from other artists and it was like a really positive and encouraging experience and like listening to this in like a giant room with like a, well not giant, but a big size room with like a really good sound system was so exciting. So yeah, like it was just a really exciting time for me. Sounds exciting, I wanna go, it sounds really <laughs> great. You used the perfect word, unfolds. That, that track unfolds so majestically got this just 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 sort of teasing you all the way through it you come in with the wonderful voice and then they get that chorus and it's just like boom, it suddenly explodes you're like whoa where, where is this where where is this going to take me it's uh yeah it, it ticks all my little spots of yeah i'm getting this this, this is going to get played this is really good <laughs> oh good <laughs> and, thank um, you and it's got it, it's got that really satisfying ding in it, which just reminds me of Stripped or something from Depeche Mode of that era, that sort of Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about the Toronto scene. So, you know, what is it like? Is it for, for this? Because it, you know, as I said, Neon Knights looked ace. What's it like with you? Okay, so 
it's a it's a challenge because right now we're like mm. on the heels of a pandemic and not a lot of people are mm. going out. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like the Toronto scene is still very like techno focused or um, it's that's how it feels from my perspective. Mm. And there's still a lot of amazing artists doing like DJ sets like Civiex I know does a lot of DJ sets and they're they're focused on like dark electro and like that's awesome so I feel like there's still a lot to discover with Neon Nights in particular that's still like a very very fresh and new um mm. event so that's more of like a modern synth wave and 80s sort of night but I think it's sort of unfolding in a way where there's gonna be they, I think they have like a core group of organizers who also DJ and now they're bringing in like other people to start DJing on those nights, luckily mm-hmm. myself included. So in terms of the niche electronic scene, when it comes to sort of that like retro electro thing, I think there's still, there's some overlaps in the kind of like electronic and techno scene and like a bit more of an established crew in Toronto. And then there's like younger people or slightly younger people (laughs) who are really that have a little bit more of a niche or internet based focus on music. And they still haven't like totally found each other yet. And I feel like I'm fortunate to kind of straddle the line between them. So I'm trying to get some artists more connected with each other yeah there's sort of disparate little bubbles that are floating around and i think if we can just bring them together and try to smoosh them it'll be Mm. i think there's a lot of potential there yeah absolutely i agree a million percent the that there's lots i'm going to use the term us right there's lots of us people who love that music everywhere but we're not all in the same place (laughs) literally and so when you you know when you try and you want to do what you did which was actually go and find and talk to somebody meet somebody who shares that passion who has that interest and you can actually then do something together you know that's kind of like you know gold that's the pearl that's like the, the because doing everything virtually which is no bad thing you know you're doing it with hyperlink dream sync you know we're doing it right now over this but there is meant satisfaction being able to actually just sit down and sometimes meet and just chat and listen go to a night so when they're there yeah as you say we've got to kind of try and encourage that well this has been an absolute riot Haley. thank you Yay, so much thank um, you it's been brilliant doing this just as we wrap up we've talked about hyperlink dream sync but is what else is happening in the world of mecha Maiko, have you got anything planned <laughs> for the next sort of do you, do you, you someone to plan ahead or is there is it just see what happens what's, what's the future looking yeah, like yeah i mean in terms of my own music i'm probably going to be doing like there's still some songs i'm working on that i'm pretty excited about and maybe some collaborations that will pick back up i actually find i'm so i'm invited to I applied for the Junos this past year, so I submitted my album, and on Tuesday, I basically find out if I'm nominated or not, so I have to go to some crazy event with a red carpet on Tuesday, which I'm so nervous about, but it's kind of really cool because it means that 
at least like in some small way I'm seen in a like I'm not it it's kind of weird because I feel like I just only exist on the internet and this event is kind of being recognized as an artist in like a pretty broad landscape so yeah that'll be kind of cool I think yeah you are real this I am real. AI music. <laughs> There's someone here. No, that's really amazing. Well, well, absolutely. You know, fingers crossed for that. Thank you. Quick interjection. Haley was nominated, didn't win, but had an absolute blast. Go and check out our Instagram for all the details. If we have any idea when we might hear the new hyperlink dream sync is it something this year or are we just gonna let you guys get on with it and see what happens we'll see so we Mm. have been kind of shopping our demos around to different a couple different labels so there's still a lot to refine it all depends on the magic timing of three people working together who all have jobs (laughs) etc and are in different time zones but i think we're at least gonna get a single release out this year so that it'll be a nice bridge from the last mm. album into what we do in the future so nice at the very least there will be that and probably some remixes nice right well i'm gonna get on the phone to uh, jd and node of gated and uh yeah we'll see what we'll see what we can rustle up <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing well, again, thanks very much, Haley. It's been a pleasure talking with you today and good luck for future endeavours, particularly Tuesday, but yeah, for everything else you're doing. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much, Alistair. Massive thanks again to Haley for a wonderful conversation. Be sure to check out her back catalogue on Bandcamp and head over to themechamico.com for all the latest news. This is my final time lock as the host. I'm pleased to announce that I'm handing over the microphone to Paul Mackey, aka Hierophant, who I was fortunate to interview in episode six. It's been a blast hosting time lock, and I know Paul will take this to the next level. Big thanks to Gated for their support and encouragement, but most of all to you, the listener. Until next time, 